as we get into the, the passage today, um, man, I got to kind of say that uh, Zane made a comment last week to me uh, on the phone. We were talking. He said, he said, yeah, man, people probably think we like get together and plan all this stuff out all week long. Um, I, I made a comment this morning that Al's going to coin. Um, I was talking to somebody in here and I had said, yeah, uh, you know, what we do today is probably the most formal thing that we do all week. And it's not very formal, is it? <laughs> it's, but, but I want you to know that we don't plan all week. The band, they get together, and the band, they pray, and they have discussion. It's not like they just get together, what songs are we going to do? Man, I want you to know their heart is to lead you in worship, and they worship with this beforehand. And so it's amazing every week. I don't even, I, I know the passage I'm preaching on. I can tell you the passage I'm preaching on next week or whatever. But I don't know where God's going with any of this. I didn't even know where I was going with this particular passage until really kind of Thursday uh, as I was on my way. What day, where's the McIntyre's at? What day did we go diving? Was that Thursday? Friday. Uh, well, Friday. No, Friday. Yeah, Friday. No, we went diving Friday. So I didn't even know where we were really going with it until Friday. But I know where we're going with it today. And it was so awesome how the, the songs, the, the, the discussions, all of the, how many sermon messages have y'all heard so far today? I'm just saying all of it comes together because what we are is we're a group of people that want to see life from God's perspective. And if you want to see it from his perspective, he will show you everything that's going on in your life from his perspective. And then as a body of believers, we come together to help each other to see it from his perspective. And I am so grateful to be surrounded by you guys who help me every day to see life from God's perspective, man. Hey, man, are you grateful to be around some folks like that? And so, so I want you to know um, we don't kind of have this little like obviously down. I, I have been in church. There's nothing wrong if God's calling you to do that. Some of you are, aren't naturally organized like me. No, I'm just joking. You're supposed to laugh. But, I mean, I have seen orders of worship down to the seconds and down to the minutes and all of that. Dude, we're not there, man. <laughs> it's like we and, and I don't want to go there. I don't think that's where Driftwood's supposed to be. But what's awesome is if God puts something on your heart, man, you as a in this body of believers need to share that with you, with another person. Even after the service, in the parking lot, during the week, man, how many of y'all were contacted by somebody? You know, man, you had conversation, you had life with somebody from the church this week. Some kind of conversation. The rest of you are just introverts because I know I talked to Munchie. But anyways, I'm just saying it's there. That's what we're doing. It's not just Sunday, man. It's doing life together. And so the world calls us Christians, right? And, um, oh, those are Christians. We're, we even call ourselves Christians, but that wasn't really the, uh, the original term. The, the first time the word Christian was actually used was in a derogatory way. Oh, those are those people that follow that Christ guy that got killed, that said he was the Messiah. And now they're claiming he rose again and he lives inside them. And, and you know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, that's foolishness to the people that don't believe. But how many of y'all know that's not foolishness? Because he rose from the dead and is living inside of you. Yeah. But that's what they use it in a derogatory sense like that. What foolish people, they're Christians in a derogatory sense. But do you know what the Christians called themselves? What they called themselves, what was it? The way. The way. They called themselves the way. We're part of the way. And many people believe that they got that from John 14 when Jesus was talking about, you know, they were, they, were, they were privy to the conversation that John was having with his disciples. They were privy to this, this saying that Jesus had that said, I am the way. This exclusiveness. I'm not one of many ways. I'm not part of the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
And no one can come to the Father except through me. I, I about died when I saw that in your song today. I'm just like, yes, that's what we're preaching on. Did you know that's what we're preaching on? No, and you wouldn't lie in church, right? All right, good. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, yes, I can't. I'm so excited the Holy Spirit gave her, that gave the band that song because that's what it's about. They understood Jesus was the way. If he is the way, the only way, is there any other way? No, and if you're going to be in the way, you have to stay in the way. You can't let anything get in the way of you being in the way, if that makes sense. There is no other way. It is one way, and that's it. And any way that you go that is not the way is a diversion, a distraction, and it's taking you away from the way. Whew, that was the Holy Spirit right there. I'm just telling you because I, I can't say that three times fast. All right, but, but you understand what I'm saying? And so for them, it's like what Paul said, for me to live is what? And to die is better because I'm going to be with him full time with no flesh in the way. But he said, man, to me, for me to live is Christ. And that's what it meant to be in the way. And as I was studying this, I told Seth, I was on the phone with Seth as I was driving to meet you guys to go diving down at the bridge. That's why I knew it was the day we went diving. I forgot what day. There's a lot happened between now, now and Friday. But I'm there and I said, dude, yesterday... Oh, my goodness, I was like studying this last night, and all of a sudden, Jesus started talking to me about the way. Now, Holy Spirit, I'm not, you know, I didn't hear him verbally. If I did, I wouldn't even be here. I'd be dead, all right? He speaks to me louder than that. He speaks to me not audibly, but in my heart. How many of y'all hear him in your heart? You hear him through scripture. You hear him through life, but you know it's him because it's not contrary to the word of God. Again, so I'm not saying, oh, you know, I, dude, I hear him in prayer. I ask him, I said, God, you've got to give me some soul food for this group. You've got to give me some soul food for me so I can share this. What do you want? And so I'm begging him as I'm studying all of this stuff because I don't want to give you some theological dissertation. Because, Gary, is that what you want? Is that what you need? You need to hear from who? And who did he choose of all people in this world to let you hear from God from? Me. I'm the one he chose to be the chef, to cook up the soul food, all right? And, and, and I, sometimes I feel bad for you. That's why I beg him. I beg him. I say, God, you've got to give me the recipe. You've got to give me the dish. If it comes from me, dude, they're going to be hungry. <laughs> so if you walk away full, you got it from him. And so as I'm begging him and I'm hearing about the way, the way, and I'm like, yeah, the way. And Jesus kind of hit me in the face. I wish Roger was here. He's traveling right now, so pray for him. Roger always talks about God hitting him in the head with a sledgehammer because that's his form of communication with God right now. And uh, one day he'll, he'll, he'll not have to have a sledgehammer all the time. And uh, any other sledgehammer people here? God's got to hit in the head with a sledgehammer? Yeah, we're all there. But, um, man. You know, oh, I forgot where I was going with that. Where was I going with that, honey? No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Help me out. Back to the way. Yeah. All right. So as I'm going in the way, away in the way, I just got taken away. As I'm in the way. All right. As I was talking to God about that, God hit me in the head with a sledgehammer. And now I know where I'm going with that. I got to keep going. All right. So I'm, I'm there, and God hit me in the head with a sledgehammer, and he said, how often am I in the way? And I'm like, what, 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 you know, I'm in the way, God, I'm doing what you want me to do. And he says, do I ever get in the way? Jesus was asking me, do I ever get in the way of your life? Woo! I was like, you know, he likes to play on those words there. Is Jesus ever in my way? And am I, am I in the way all the time? No, I'm a human, just like we were talking now. 
I'm a human, but so he started challenging me with this passage and with this section of scripture and, and wanted me to ask the question consistent constantly to him, Jesus, show me when you are in my way. Because let me ask you a question. Has Jesus been in your way this week at all? Can you think of one incident at least when he was in your way? You know, I, I couldn't, so God, no, I'm just joking. I, literally, I had all kinds of incidences where he was in my way. As I was explaining to Seth, as I'm driving down 95, all of a sudden I hit the traffic there in West Palm, and everybody was in my way. And so representing Jesus was in my way of driving the way I wanted to drive. Do you understand what I'm saying? The traffic that was there that was hindering me was, was Jesus was in the way of me acting and responding to those people the way I thought I needed to respond to them so they would drive better. Isn't that right, Terry? Isn't that our purpose in life? We don't want them to irritate others, and he's put us in their life as a teacher. That's the, but Jesus let me know on Friday that he let me know on Friday that he was in the way of me acting that way. And I was like, ooh, that's not good. I, just so show me some other ways that you're in, you're in my way. Because I want to tell everybody, I am in the way. I'm doing exactly what you want. But there's so many instances in life where he's in the way of me acting the way I want to act. Yesterday morning was one of them. Oh, it's going to be a glorious day. Keone, we had Keone on Friday, Friday nights, man. We had a great night swimming and all this, doing all this junk we were doing and playing. And Keone's a morning person. And so I know, I've learned since a little baby that, man, if you're going to have good quality time with him, man, give it all to him in the morning because by about, what, 10, 11 o'clock, he's crabby. Just like a lot of you. I know. It's, a, it's 1030 right now. It's coming. But he's, he, you know, 11 o'clock, he's ready for a nap, just like you. All right? That's why Gary wears sunglasses. All right? Well, that's why, and that's why I call on him. <laughs> so, so I'm like, man, I want to give Keone everything I've got in the morning. And so, but first, I want to give God everything I got in the morning. So I got up a little late. Keone was already up, and I'm trying to read, my, read the word like, God, I need marching orders today. It's not a legalistic thing that I have to do, and there's a curse. It's I got to hear from God. I want to hear from God. I need to hear from God. And I can't even let my loving grandson get in the way of that. I've got to hear from him. I should have got up earlier, but I didn't. And I told Keone, next time, wake me up, all right? But, I, man, I, I had to be in the Word. And Keone kept coming in, wanting to play. I'm in the Word. And I'm saying, God, God, can you just, like, God, can you hurry up? <laughs> you know? And I'm getting it. And, and then all of a sudden, I'm saying, Keone, all right, just, I got to go make some coffee. How many of y'all need to make coffee before you can play with the three-year-old? You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, God, all right, you know, I'm going to make some coffee. So before I can make coffee, there's all the dishes piled up that I left, that, that my wife so graciously washed that I made the night before when I cooked dinner. They were all there, and it's all my stainless steel stuff, so they don't really touch it because they don't know really where it goes. It's all like a Tetris game, how to put it all back and everything. And so it was all there. So I go to grab the first one, and all of a sudden, a bunch of them fall. Anybody remember that happened? Sam, don't you hate when that happens? And so I'm grabbing, I'm putting these things away, because there's Keone, and my, my, my window of opportunity to play is shrinking. Man, he's shrinking now. And I put it away, and my last pot is a square thing, and I'm trying to put it in, and it wouldn't fit. I put it over here, and I try to put it in, and it wouldn't fit. And literally, in the, taking a chance of smashing my pot, this is my prize pot, Man, I'm ready to shove it in. I'm saying, no, I can't do that. And I pull it out, and all of a sudden, everything in the bottom of that closet starts falling in the place where that pot goes. There were at least 8,126 
Walmart bags. I promise you. That's what's wrong. I, I didn't count any farther than that. And there was no way, shape, or order to the way they were in there, and especially once they fell. So I start throwing them out the door. And I'm in the kitchen by myself, all right? I'm throwing them out the, the door there, making room and getting the pot to fit. And my wife comes in, and I look, and she, I didn't know what it looked like because my head was in here. I was doing a task, all right? I look, and there were boxes, and there were Walmart bags. And so I knew there were 8,000-something bars. It covered the kitchen floor, everything that I had thrown out there. And I said, I just tried to get it. My wife says, no, you're not. You're having a hissy fit. <laughs> Those were her exact words. No, you're not. You're having a hissy fit. I was busted. I couldn't. I couldn't refute that in any pastoral spiritual language whatsoever. I lost. I'm having a hissy fit. And right there, Jesus is like, am I in your way? I was like, yeah, you're in my way. Because right now, I want to continue my hissy fit, but I know that in the way, there's no hissy fits. I'm going to always be in the way of your hissy fit. And I started thinking of all the hissy fits I have in life that aren't even worth having hissy fit. How many of you ever heard the word hissy fit? How many of you have never heard the word hissy fit? You, you have to be from the north. I'm just, I'm just y'all use that word up there? I'm just saying. Hissy fit. He's, whenever we have a hissy fit as a believer, he's in our way. And so I've really just been asking him, show me places where you're in my way because I got to change, not you. It's not I'm going to pray and I'm going to change my theology and justify my theology so that I can act the way I want to act and him not be in the way. The process of sanctification is me becoming more and more like him, not making him more and more like me. And so when I see the hissy fit, dude, of all shapes and sizes and forms, man, I know that Jesus is in the way of the way I want to act. And I know that I'm wrong. I know I need to repent. And I know I need to take his presence and his power and let him change me at that point in time. So here's the question that I have for you. There's actually a message that goes with this. <laughs> and uh, if this thing works, JJ? Oh, there we go. So let me ask you a question. Is, in your life, is Jesus the way? Or is Jesus in the way? And hopefully we can say both. Hopefully for your life, the majority of your life, you're, you're focusing on following him because you know that he's your manufacturer. And if you live life the way he has prescribed for you to live life as your manufacturer, you get maximum performance out of the vehicle he's given you to live life in, that you're living it that way. And, and hopefully that's where you're at. But I just wonder if the Holy Spirit maybe brought some conviction to anyone else in here, like he has me, that a lot of times Jesus is in my way. And that's a hard thing to, to bite as a Christian. We have two ways to respond. We can either say, you're right, and I'm wrong. And in fact, you know what, 1 John 1, 9, do we know that verse? He says, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess literally means in the Greek, to agree, to agree with God. When my wife says you're having a hissy fit and she's speaking on behalf of the Holy Spirit of God, which she was, <laughs> I have to agree. And that's what confession is. And it's only when we agree with God, no ifs, ands, or buts, that at that point in time then, that now he cleanses us from all that unrighteousness. Because until we confess, we're wallowing around in the mud. We're wallowing around in that unrighteousness. And until we confess, 
man, we're suffering the consequences of that. And I could have suffered a lot more consequences if I wouldn't have confessed right there because we did have a good day. And if I would have had a hissy fit all day, did I, did I get better? All right, Emily's saying yes, okay, all right. So. Are you just saying that because we're in church? No, I, I tried to be really good at the movies. I had literally, after this, we were gonna go to the movies. You're like, oh, that's awesome. But understand for me, you know what that means? Sitting still for three hours and being quiet. <laughs> it's like, so I had to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do that. And it was awesome. So is Jesus for you the way or is he in the way? And so let's take a look at this story where for some, Jesus was in the way. For some people, Jesus is in the, or Jesus is the way. And when he is the way, what that means is that means we're going to be doing what he wants us to do moment by moment. Here's what happens with God's will sometimes. How many of y'all have ever said, dude, I, I so want to do God's will. I want to do God's will. Anybody say that ever? But you view God's will as out there somewhere. That's what most people, they view God's will out there and they know there's nothing they have to do right now to really commit to God's will out there. So until God shows me what exactly that is out there, I keep pretty much doing what I'm doing right now. But do you know where God's will is? Is it out there? Where's God's will? His will is this next step. His will is what you do right now. His will is what you do when you leave this place. His will is what you do at the restaurant, when the waitress, when whatever, when the traffic. His will is what you do. What do you want me to do now, God? And we do it. And that takes a commitment right now. And so when you are in the way, you're doing what he wants you to do right now. And I think if you take each step that he wants you to take, you're going to end up where he wants you to end up. I just think it happens that way. For some, Jesus is the way. Now look at this. The Apostle Paul, okay, so the message, this is where we ended last week, uh, after Paul's uh, handkerchiefs, you guys remember the sweatbands, God can use sweatband, he can use you, and one about sweatbands is about Jesus, and we make it about Jesus, people get saved, and that's all Paul was about, for me to live as Christ, and so what happened, the message about who? Yeah, the message about who again? The Lord. Not the message about Paul, not the message about his sweatbands, not the message about the people burning five million dollars worth of stuff or whatever it was. It was the message about the Lord. It spread widely and had a powerful effect. That's what the gospel does. Now, were those other details part of it spreading? Absolutely. It's what God chose to use in all of that. But it was the message of the Lord. It's the gospel. That's all we need. The power's in the gospel. And that spread widely all through Ephesus here. Verse 21. Afterwards, Paul felt compelled by the spirit. Okay, some people say it might have been his human spirit. And in here, um, you know, it indicates that it's the Holy Spirit. And if for him to live as Christ, then it was the spirit of God anyways. So afterwards, after all this is going on in Ephesus, he's been there three years now, the longest he'd been anywhere. He felt compelled by the spirit to go over back to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I got to go to Rome. So God's moving in his life. And that's an exciting time when God's moving in your life, isn't it? How many of y'all, but sometimes we hate that, right? We're kind of like, because it's unknown. But who knows where you're going to? Who knows the next step, Emily? God, Al, who knows the next step? Brian, who knows the next step? Exactly. And that's why we don't have to worry about that out there. We just, what do you want me to do now, God? Do it. And so Paul, that's where he was living. And God gave him a little bit further of a game plan. And God said, hey, I want you to go to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. Now, you may read that and say, oh, that's no big deal. But check this out. 
He's going to Jerusalem, and the purpose for going to Jerusalem is to bring an offering to the poor, persecuted believers who are in Jerusalem. The ones that, that James is writing to, who used to be the pastor in the, guy, in the book of James. He's writing to these people that were so persecuted they started spreading out. But right now in Jerusalem at this time, they're dirt poor, they're beaten up, they have no jobs, they have no families. All they have is each other, and they have no food, they have no clothes. They've been persecuted, they've been blamed for all kinds of things. And he wants to go back to Macedonia and Achaia, the opposite direction of Jerusalem. And how's he getting there, by the way? He's walking. Yeah, he's not just jumping on a flight. He's walking back there to Macedonia and Achaia to get those poor persecuted churches to contribute some money for their brothers and sisters who are hurting in Jerusalem. He's going to say, look, man, we got brothers and sisters, and they're hurting. And, and he takes an offering, and you can read about it in the epistles, the church epistles, of how all that went down. And then he's going all the way back to Jerusalem. And then his plan is to go to Rome, which is what we're going to be looking at in the rest of the book of, of, of Acts. So Paul's being compelled by spirit. So for Paul, man, is he in the way? Or is Jesus in the way? He's in the way. Man, if I'm going to Jerusalem, God, you want me to go to Jerusalem. Why am I going this way? Well, I want you to go get an offering from these people. I want you to walk all the way out of the way to be in the way and go back this way. And, and, but for Paul, it was no big deal because whose clock was he on? God. He's on God's clock. You're the boss. You want me to go there and do this and do this and do this? Well, you know what? Even if I don't think that's very efficient, God does. And if I don't think it's efficient, I'd be very smart because God knows everything. He can do anything, and he's everywhere. Who better to have as a boss to tell you where to go and when to go and what to do? That's what it means to be in the way as opposed to having Jesus in the way. So he's getting ready to go there, and then he says, and then I'm going to go to Rome. And we're going to find out how long and if that ever happens and what happens when he gets there and all of that other stuff because it isn't a simple trip. So this guy, Paul, he's in the way. And he's showing us what it looks like to follow Christ with every step that you take. Every decision that you make. And look what else. Paul sent two of his assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia to start the collection. While he stayed a little while longer in Asia. And then he was going to go there and get the offering and they were going to bring it back. So here's a couple of other guys, Timothy and Erastus. You remember when Paul went on his first missionary trip and he got kicked out, got beat up, got left for dead. Went and took some R&R back in his home church. And then when he went back to the home church... He asked Timothy's mom, and Timothy's like a, maybe an old teenager, and it'd be like, like asking Mia, hey, hey, uh, Mia, uh, can, can I go back to where I just got, where they almost tried to kill me? Uh, you know, should I go back to where they almost killed me? Yeah, can I take your son? It all depends how you feel about Sam at that point, right? There's some days where you would say, no, you can't take my son to back to where they almost just killed you. But again, we know from Timothy, we know his upbringing, we know Paul, it didn't matter to them. They needed to be right in the way, in the center of God's will, which, by the way, sometimes involves storms and bad things. But it's all for God's glory and our good. So Timothy, Erastus, they took off too. They're in the way. Whatever God said, they're doing. They're going. They don't need a five-year game plan. They don't need a three-year game plan because God didn't give a lot of those in Scripture. He just said go. Hey, with the, he called the disciples. Chris, what did he say? What was the F word? What did he say? Just Come, oh, that's all he said. And what did the disciples say? 
hey, can we see your uh, business plan? Because my dad just started a really killer fishing business, and we kind of merge now, you know, between James and uh, John and, and Peter and Andrew. We got these two businesses merged in Capernaum, and we just got new boats and everything. So, Jesus, can we see your game plan, your business plan first, and can we do a little profit, you know, loss analysis, all this? Can we, like, check it all out? Is that what they said? No, what'd they do? They just got up and followed. <laughs> Sometimes we don't know. I love it. Seth was here. I'd ask him what the C word is because faith and following most of the time is counterintuitive. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but it's not going to contradict scripture. That's our, that's our, 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 the truth that we have. That's the paradigm. We can put it all through and, and know whether it's what we're supposed to do. So this is what it looks like for people who are in the way. But check this out. For some, Jesus is in the way. So here it is. Revival's going on in Ephesus, all right? Revival's going on in Ephesus. And about that time, what's the next word? What's the next two words? Help me out. Serious oh, man. Serious. There's revival going on. People are giving their life to Christ. The word is impacting everyone. But serious trouble. And what's the third word? Yeah, notice the word develop. That means it started and it's growing and it hasn't stopped growing yet. It's like a tumor that... What's the word metastasize? Yeah. And that's what's happening. It's, it's metastasizing in Ephesus. Did I say that word right? Yeah. Susan, Susan, you're, you're like in the middle. Is metastasize, is that the correct pronunciation? Good, because I like Archie Bunker, these words all the time. And if you're not old enough to know what that means, I'll tell you later. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning what? The way. Yeah. So all the people are heading the way. Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father but through him. And they're getting more people to head in the way. Serious trouble is developing concerning that. So there are some people that it's getting in the way of. The way is getting in the way of, of their life. Okay? And we're going to see a few ways that happens. For some, Jesus is in the way of their riches. And that's really what happened here. Jesus is in the way of their job. Jesus is in the way of their retirement. Jesus is in the way of their way they're making a living. Jesus is in the way of the plans they have made for themselves or their parents made or they all made together or the college made or this person made, this group made. Jesus is in the way. Look what happens here. It began with a dude named Demetrius, a silversmith who had a what? Oh, dude. So here's the choice, man. Now, can God use a large business for him? Absolutely. You know what? They don't let us use this place for free. I am grateful that you give to the little rusty buckets when God puts that in your heart. But the bottom line, this guy had a large business. But if God, as a believer, gives you a large business, if he gives you an income, as he increases your standard of living, so should your standard of giving increase. I'm not talking to an individual church necessarily. I'm talking about to the work of the kingdom, to the work of the kingdom. And so the silversmith who had a large business, why did God give that guy? Why did God give you the job that you've got? Is it, is it solely, is it, let me ask you, Zane, your job, is it to provide for your family? Yes. All right, you think I'm asking you a trick question. You just never know with me, bro. But it is to provide for your family, but is that the main reason? No, what's the main reason? To represent him, to be an ambassador. Wherever your job is, it's to be an ambassador, to show those people what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom. Can God, can God increase that representation as he blesses you? Can he increase that as he demotes you? Whatever he wants to do, 
You can be an ambassador for him because as a believer and an ambassador, you know that everything comes in your life by his design. And you know it's all for your good and for his glory. It's going to make you more like him if you see it from his perspective. So it all began with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis, or as the Romans called it, uh, Artemis, but the Greeks call, or the, I'm sorry, the Romans called it Diana, okay? And, and, and actually her temple was probably the size of a, the footprint was like the size of a football field, which was phenomenal, and it was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was like going to Orlando and leading, every, leading most of the employees at Disney World to Christ. And now they're walking in the way. It's going to affect Disney, which is going to affect Orlando and all of that area and going to affect all of Florida. That's kind of what was happening here. He went in and God used them to bring the gospel to the biggest tourist attraction, moneymaker, um, you know, area thing in the whole area. Silver Shrine. They, and this guy, one of the off products, he had a giant business manufacturing silver shrines of, to the Greek goddess Artemis or Diana. And he kept many craftsmen busy. So he's the dude making those cups that you pay $18 for at SeaWorld and $25 at Disney. And you know that they say, oh, you get a refilled again. Dude, I can buy a, a liter for 98 cents at Walmart. But you won't let me sneak that in. No, I'm just joking. But, but sir, he's making the stuff for the tourist attractions. He's making these, these gold. He's got a good gig going on at this point. And so he starts some trouble because Jesus is in the way of his money-making operation. So he called all these craftsmen that he's employing together, along with others employed in similar trades, addressed them as follows. He said, gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. Okay? But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. Think about that. Hey, is that a good thing? Tom, is that a good thing? Yeah. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to persuade people that handmade gods aren't gods at all? The burger at Archie's. It's not, you know, I'm just saying. I don't know where that even came from. I must be getting hungry here. You guys are praying for me, right? Right now, you're like, dude, let him finish so we can eat. But, man, seriously. Um, but, but that's it. He said, man, if Paul's telling us that these handmade gods aren't gods at all. Hey, are handmade gods gods at all? No. They're just trinkets. They're tokens. But they're so caught up in the lie, they believe their job is way more important than what it really is. Kind of like NBA and NFL stars and all of that, right? And so look what he says. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Hey, so what are they really worried about? Yeah, dude, if there's no market for our stuff, if everybody gets saved, nobody's going to be worshiping Diana or Artemis. <laughs> no one's going to be worshiping her. Our big tourist attraction is going to go down. And now there's going to be nobody here, and we're not going to make any money. Jesus, this Jesus thing is in the way of our prophets. So let me ask you a question. I know none of you guys have, you know, are making little temples and different things like that, but I wonder if the Holy Spirit has encouraged you to ask him, are your profits, your business, the way you do a living, your priorities, specifically your profits, are, is Jesus in the way of those at all? And again, if it's not, awesome. But that's something always to keep track of. What did, what did Paul even write later in scripture to Timothy? He said, the love of what? 
The love of money is the root of all. Has anybody ever lost ground in a relationship with Christ over money? Yeah. Has anybody ever gained ground in a relationship with Christ over money? Yeah. Over loss? Yeah. It's all what you want to do with it. You can get bitter, you can get better, but the, prop, the point is, is if you're a believer and God's given you money, you use it for his glory. You find out what he wants you to do with it. There's no, money's not the evil, it's the love of money. In fact, Ephesus, what did he tell Ephesus in, in the seven churches when he was preaching to them in Revelation? Ephesus, man, you guys are awesome. You have awesome facilities, you have awesome worship services, you have awesome programs, you have awesome this, but I have this one thing against you. You lost what, Roy? You don't know? Who knows what he said? You've lost your what? That's okay, man. You're going to know after this, bro. Now, what, you lost what? First love. You lost your first love. In other words, the most important thing is your love for Christ. And then everything stems out of all of that. And so they lost their first love is what happened. And um, so he said it makes all your other stuff almost kind of worthless if you're not doing it for the love of Christ. So the first thing was is that for some, Jesus is in the way of their, their riches. And I would ask God. God, are any of my riches in the way? Are you in the way of any of my riches, any of my hopes, my dreams, desires, my stuff? Are you, in the, are you in the way of all this? Or am I really using all these things for your glory? Or are they more important to me than you are? But for some, Jesus is in the way of their religion. Check this out. Of course, he says, now he's kind of making it sound a little better. I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. Of course, it's not just about money. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, or Diana, will lose its influence. What's the world going to do without Diana? Well, does anybody know what Diana was? She was a, like a fertility sex god, whatever, right? What's that? Yeah, yeah. She, uh, and, and, and this was the ultimate religion of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> Literally, everything that humans could want and call religion to make it sound good, to make it feel good, to make it be good. That was it. And, and so he said, man, man, if the world loses the influence of that, we're in trouble. And that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, Man, we'll be robbed of her great prestige. In other words, we're going to lose some religion. Hey, I wonder if God ever messes with your religion. I hope he does every time you open the Bible. Amen, Zane? Because like Zane likes to say, none of us know everything. And when we do try to get God in a box, and we do have doctrine, and doctrine's important. There are some non-negotiable things, but there's stuff there. Every time you open up the word, Carl, how long have we been having Bible study over at Vision Hairstyling on Monday nights? And Duke, does God ever show us something we had never seen before? Every time we open it up. And does he ever pierce our hearts about something that's never been pierced before? Yes, because it's fresh, it's new, it's there, it's alive. That's what the word is. But how many of you ever had a good thing going in your religion? You got a nice little religion in a nice little box that lets you manage your riches, manage your recreation, manage your everything, and you got life the way you want it, and all of a sudden God comes and says, I want you to do this with it. I want to change some things. I want you to go here. I want you to do this. I want you, and, and you're like, oh, God, this is going to mess everything up. So I'm just asking you, does Jesus ever get in the way of your religion? It's a question we got to ask ourselves. And if you say no, awesome. Keep asking it. I'm just saying. I'm not telling you you got it. I'm not pointing fingers saying, you, you, oh, my good. You can't see it. Oh, everybody sees it. No, I'm just, I'm joking. I'm using an example, but I'm just going to pick on Dustin. Dustin, everybody sees it. No, that's not what I'm doing here. 
But would it not be worth it to us to ask that question? Jesus, do you ever get in the way of my riches? Jesus, do you ever get in the way of my religion? Because here's people who weren't saved that he did get in the way of that for them. Look at They're like, dude, we can't have our sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We may have our religion in a nice little box of what God lets us do and what he doesn't let us do. And, 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 and by the way, if you got it in a box, it's wrong. It's what do you want me to do now, God? And you do it. And you filter it all through his word in context. Because a text without a context is a pretext. So here it is. He got in the way of their religion. At this, their anger boiled, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And that's what they had. So for some, Jesus is in the way, and we've seen him be in the way of the riches, the religion, but again, we're going to see another example of some people that Jesus is the way, even when it gets tough. Look at these next couple verses. Soon, the what? And this is a big city, so here it is. Paul's been, been sharing the gospel at Disney, and there's a giant revival at Disney. And 80% and of the people who workers at Disney say, no, we're standing by God's principles right now. <laughs> I'll leave it at that, all right? <laughs> go home and check that all out again. And I'm not anti-Disney or whatever, but go check that out. And all that would change the way Disney does business. And all of a sudden, there's people making money saying, we can't let this go any farther. And if you let this go, then these businesses are going to close. These are going to close. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Hey, what happened when Obama shut the space shuttle program down to Titusville? What happened to Titusville? The restaurants closed. The stores closed. The whole town dried up. And now Orlando's got it, and it's kind of growing back again in a different way. What happens when all these packing plants shut down? You know, everybody who had anything to do with the citrus industry, man, it's gone. Now we have to come up with a new industry or something. That's what's happening here. So the whole city was filled with what? Confusion. Everyone rushed the amphitheater. That's the only place that could hold all these people. Dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were what? Paul's friends. They were Christians. They were of the way. Here's people that instead of hiding in the closet like, oh, I hope they don't find me. They're all ticked off. They were out there and they were preaching or at least they were representing. They were ambassadors and they got drug off. They were the scapegoats. They were the, the sacrificial lambs drug off to the amphitheater. They were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. They didn't care if it was good, bad or indifferent. They were representing Christ no matter what. Now, Paul wanted to go in also. <laughs> you imagine Paul. Hey, now listen, how many of y'all like have ever seen any of the renditions of Paul, what he looked like? Anybody ever seen pictures of what they think Paul looked like? What are some things? And I won't take any offense. No, I'm just saying, he, he was short, he was fat, he was bald-headed, at least I got hair, bro, all right? I'm just saying, he was short, he was fat, he was bald-headed, the dude had all kinds of, he had been beat up, drug around, thrown, left for dead. This was not a good-looking guy, <laughs> There was nothing about his physique like Saul. There was nothing that anybody would admire about this guy except one thing. And what was that? His walk with Christ. That made him more awesome and more beautiful than anything could have ever made him. And it still will to this day. And so Paul, this little short dude that's been beaten up, ball-headed, dragging his leg. And, and, and looking kind of like, who's that dude? What was that? The hunchback of Notre Dame? That's how I kind of pictured him. Kind of like that guy, man. You know, just like, that's Paul. Go do some research on what he looked like. Go Google up Paul. Paul's yearbook picture from high school and see. All right? Paul wanted. So here it is. The dude's got nothing. 
You know, it's not like, ooh, yeah, he's got Christ. For him to live is Christ. He said, let me add him. Let me come in. Why? Because for Paul to live was what? Christ. To die was what? Which is better. What's he got to lose in this? What do you have to lose? What do you think you have to lose? Riches, religion, rights, all those things. Paul knew what was important. So he wanted to go and shoot. Let me at him. Let me at him. And the believers wouldn't let him in because the believers were listening to God and holding him back saying, God's not done with you yet, bro. God is not giving us permission to let you in. It's not time for you to die yet, okay? And I don't think he's going to resurrect you from this one. So isn't it good to have spirit-filled friends? Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, Paul would have gone in, charging hell with a water pistol, man, and, and he had probably gotten burned. But he had friends keeping him from that. Some of the officials of the province, these guys weren't even believers. They were friends of Paul. <laughs> what does that say? Did Paul compromise his theology to be friends with unbelievers? No, man, he stuck with the God. They respected him probably more than somebody who was a hypocrite who preached one thing and lived another. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message begging him, Paul, don't go in there, don't go in there. You're risking your life by going into the amphitheater. Again, Paul, was Jesus in the way of Paul's life? No, Paul was in the way. Jesus wasn't in the way of what he was doing because he wanted to do what Christ wanted to do. Again, we see one more example. Some, Jesus is in the way of, we saw in the way of their riches, of their religion. And now we're just going to see people that they don't even know what he's in the way of. He's in the way of my rights. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like today? Yeah. Can you give me an explanation of what rights is, are being violated? No, I just know there are. I just know, you know what? He's in the way of their rights. Look at how this even starts. Inside the amphitheater, the people were all shouting. And what were they shouting? Hey, Robbie, what were they shouting, man? I've only met you like twice, bro, but, man, you're just family. Go. What were they shouting? Read, read it, bro. One thing and some. Yeah. What were they? So what were they shouting? One thing and some people were shouting another. Did, uh, Roy, did they even know what they were shouting? They had no idea. That, that, I'm glad that doesn't sound like your generation at all. Or mine, for that matter. What are you laughing about, man? <laughs> yeah. Any of us, man, aren't we on Facebook pretty bold, on social media pretty bold, shouting all these things out? We don't even know what we're talking about, man. I think the devil throws a little ball and we go chase it, right? And meanwhile, the big things are happening. Meanwhile, we're supposed to be ambassadors representing the gospel. Inside, the people were all shouting some one thing and some another because they didn't know what to shout. They just knew their rights were being infringed by someone who wanted to be in control. How many of y'all mind being in, having God in control of your life? Morgan, do you mind God being in control of your life? I do sometimes. I don't know. Thank you for being honest. But when you're walking in the Spirit, do you? No, there's nothing greater than having the one who knows everything, can do anything, and is everywhere in control of our lives. But when we're in that flesh, yeah, it's pretty bad having him in control, isn't it? That conscience, you know? And him saying, no. But that's where everything was in confusion here. The fact, most of them, what's it say? Help me out. Didn't even know why they were there. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like one of the Antifa rally? Or I'm just, I don't know. One of the rallies that we've seen when something happens and they're burning buildings. And Al, we're seeing it in Haiti right now, brother. Al's supposed to be in Haiti right now. And he didn't go because all this is going on. And I've watched a lot of people don't even know why they're there. Or what they're there for is because somebody publicize something on social media and without any facts they're all believing it and now they've got a cause aren't you glad that's relegated to Haiti and that doesn't happen in America 
Be careful what you choose to support. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. I read that. Abe Lincoln posted it. <laughs> Joking. Seriously, guys. That's how the next, that's how JJ, JJ's into marketing. And that's how he's been documenting. He's been watching how revolutions get started, how things are happening. And I'm talking about a revolution even in a new product. All you got to do is get enough people on Twitter to say something's good. And everybody's like, oh, I have to have it. And they go get it. And then they don't want to, like, everybody else said it was good. So now I got to say it's good, even if it was horrible. It doesn't even have to be the truth. But that's what's happening with social media. And that's kind of what happened here. Only they had to chisel it out on little tablets. They didn't have a real tablet. They didn't have iPads. They had iPads, but they were different. All right, so. <laughs> Look, man, everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. They just knew their rights were being violated. Jesus is getting in the way of my rights. Did Jesus ever get in the way of your rights? Zane was asking me about the, 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 four, what are they, the, the four questions in uh, Corinthians that Paul gave to uh, the Corinthians. The Corinthians were people that were like, okay, so are we allowed to eat shrimp if they're fried and we don't see them, or, or can they be boiled, or are we, allowed to eat are we allowed to do this? They were trying to get it all down where they had a, you know, a key where they could see whether they were allowed to do something. Paul said, look, 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 it's all for God's glory. He said, here's four questions to ask yourself whether or not you can do it. And these are found in 1 Corinthians primarily. He said, ask yourself, is it helpful? Is it get, and, and get your priorities right. Is it going to be helpful to the kingdom of God? Then is it going to be helpful to others? And then is it going to be helpful to you? Hey, where do we usually start? Is it helpful to me? But he said, start with the kingdom of God. It's going to be helpful to the kingdom of God if you do this. You can do everything, but not all things are expedient. Not everything's good. Is it going to be helpful to the kingdom of God? It's going to be helpful to others, especially young believers. It's going to be helpful to you. Next, he said, is it going to be hurtful or harmful? Is it going to be harmful to the kingdom of God? Is it going to be harmful to others? And is it going to be harmful to you? And then he said, the third thing he said, is it going to be habit forming? Ooh, because if it's habit forming and it has control over you, at the moment it has control over you, the Holy Spirit can't have control over you. So there will be some times that you were bought with a price. Man, you're owned by God. And he should, how much control should God have over you, Mia? 100%, 24-7, all the time. He owns you for eternity. That's what you did when you gave your life to him. He bought it. And you weren't bought in the clearance bin at Walmart. Dude, you were paid. You, you paid full price. And so he says, is it habit forming? Because if it has control over you, it's at that point in time that Jesus doesn't have control over you. And the last thing he said, is it honoring to God? So is it helpful, hurtful? Is it habit forming? But the bottom line, is it honoring to God? He said, ask those questions, and you'll see whether or not you're really supposed to be doing these things or not. These guys didn't even know why they were there and um, in that. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward. He was a Jew, by the way. And uh, they wanted to, the Jews wanted to distance themselves from the Christians. So they were like, Alexander, get out there and tell them we're not part of these guys. We're not, we're not part of the way. And because that's what they considered the, the way or Christians, the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward, told him to explain his situation. He motioned for silence and then tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again. They kept it up for how long? Dude, you've been listening at me for shouting for 
about 40 minutes right now. Can you imagine two hours? We're almost done, by the way. <coughs> two, two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great. He just started it all up again. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down. So the mayor gets up, and this is where we really find out that he's getting in the way. This Christianity is getting in the way of their rights. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. He said, citizens of Ephesus, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, Artemis, whose image fell down from heaven. By the way, what they believe kind of happened, some kind of meteor or something fell down, and they got it, and that was the god Artemis. And then they made a pretty cool statue of her. Um, you can go read about it, but it's, it's pretty whack. And so he says, everyone knows we're of the, the, the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis. We have one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, she fell down from heaven. Everybody knows that. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and do not do anything rash. <laughs> we should make that a t-shirt, shouldn't we? <laughs> Since this is an undeniable fact. What's, what's the problem with this, though? It's a deniable fact. But if it was written on Twitter, if it was written on Snapchat, if it was written on Facebook, if CNN, if Fox, if whoever, put it out there, it's true, right? Even, but they said it's an undeniable fact, so it's got to be true. How many of y'all know history is being rewritten all the time? How many of y'all know that if all of us right now were, if I gave you the assignment to go home and write a report, a historical report on what happened in church today, how many of you know that we would have as many different versions as we have people here with different highlights? Okay? And, and that's what history is. And, and, and so it's an undeniable fact. Be careful what your facts are. What's the only place we can get facts from? The Word of God. The God. It's an undeniable fact. Yes, it's deniable, but he's saying it's undeniable. Okay, I'll believe. Stay calm and don't do anything rash. It's an undeniable fact. You brought these men here, but they've stolen nothing from the temple. They've not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session. There's officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. There's a way to take care of this, and rioting is not one of them because you're fixing to get us in trouble. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can settle them in the legal assembly. He said, I, oh, I'm what? Here's the real problem. I'm what? Woo, what's he afraid of? Yeah, he's afraid that his rights are going to get taken away. I am afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there's no cause for this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we don't know what to say. So he dismissed them and they all dispersed. He was afraid their rights were going to be taken away. There's some people that don't ever get saved because they're afraid their rights are going to be taken away. Because... To be saved, you need to surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about Christ. And your rights are taken away. But you're relinquishing, you're giving all your rights to who? You're giving, him, you're giving your rights to the one that knows everything, can do anything, and is everywhere. And most importantly, the, the one who loves you more than anyone could ever love you. In case there's somebody here that's never given their life to Christ, I'm not pointing anybody out. Because he does say in the book of Matthew, a lot of people in the church are, who think they've given their life to Christ haven't. So I don't know. But for those that know you've given your life to Christ, how many of you would say that you gave your life to Christ and it was the worst decision in your life and you wish you would have never done it? Anyone? No, no one. How many of y'all were scared when you did it? You didn't know what the future held. 
Yeah, raise your hand up. Raise, Susan, raise it up. Yeah, Gary, everyone, that's what's faith. I don't know. I'm giving it all to you. I don't know, and I like to be a control freak, and I like to know and have it all planned, and he's not going to tell me all of this. I'm just going to give it to him. How many of y'all glad you gave it to him? <laughs> yeah. He ain't messed it up, has he, <laughs> at all, and he's not done yet. It's going to do nothing but get better and better. And heaven's going to be the ultimate. So if you're here today and you're like, I don't want him to get in the way of my rights. I got a nice, neat little box of believing going down. If it's anything short of full surrender to Christ, it's short. You're going to miss the boat. And if you're here today and you're not positive that when you die, you're going to heaven, you're not positive that you're his child because you've surrendered yourself to him. You're not positive that your sins have been taken away and paid for by the blood of Jesus. You're not positive about any of that stuff, man. Surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him. You will not be sorry, I promise. How many of you know that you're believers and you've been walking with him for a little while? I'm talking a week, maybe more. How many of y'all are scared because you don't really, uh, you, you have moments where you're scared because you don't really know what's going on next? And if you told me you knew what was going on next, I would tell you, you better hang on because you ain't got a clue. <laughs> That's why it's called faith. <laughs> but can you trust him? So surrender your rights. So here's where we end. For you, I got a question. Is Jesus the way or is Jesus in the way? And I asked that question since probably Thursday. And if I, before that, you would have asked me, I would have said, no, I'm, I'm in the way, dude. I'm, Jesus is the way. But he has shown me time and time again how my riches, even my religion, and my rights, and many other things have really, Jesus is in the way of what I want, some of this. So instead of changing Jesus, which I'm not going to, I need to change me. I want to see things the way he wants. I want my heart to break for what his breaks for. I want my desires to be his. I want to be that, in a minute, the band's going to come up, and, and, and Tom, man, where, where's your guitar at? Hey, I'm going to fix it for you right here. Okay, I've moved a couple of these strings around. And so it's out of tune now. Is it going to sound very good? Not until Tom starts playing. Do you want to get a head start on it? Because he starts hitting one string at a time, and it's when he gets all those strings in tune that can make a beautiful sound. That's us getting in tune with God's will and what he's doing. So if you find an area of your life where he's in the way, man, Change that, repent, and you be in the way. Don't have Jesus in your way. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, I pray that you would fix Tom's guitar. <laughs> no, Father, I, uh, I'm grateful you have a sense of humor, and I'm grateful that you create us, and I'm grateful that you love us. I pray that one thing we pull out of all of this is how much you love us. And you even tell us, you said, man, if a, if a, a sinful earthly father has a son asking him for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion. No one would do that. So think of how good a good Heavenly Father would give us the Holy Spirit if we ask. And you tell us when we have the Holy Spirit that he'll teach us everything we need to know at any given point. Remind us of anything we've already been taught. We don't have to worry about anything. Father, um, but you know our flesh. And so often in our flesh, we think you're in the way. I am grateful that you are in the way. I want you to make your presence known more when I think you're in the way, Father, for not just me, but for everyone here. 
I want you to really be in the way. I want you to, like with Balaam, I want you to narrow the, narrow the walls and narrow the path and, and put a mighty angel in the way so the donkey doesn't move. Even if that means me being corrected, I, want, I don't want to pass by being in the wrong way. Father, I just pray that whenever we think you're in the way, that we would repent and that we would realize you're right. And the, dis, the time frame from the time we're convicted to the time that we repent gets shorter and shorter and shorter as we mature. Father, I pray that we truly would be a people that represent you. And again, it starts with salvation, which is instant. It continues with sanctification, which is a lifetime. But it ends with glorification, which is forever. And like Paul, we look forward to that day. So show us where we think you're in the way. And then put us in the way. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.